Good morning, Camp CC. Welcome. Happy Father's Day to everyone out there. Um, today we are celebrating our fathers, but we are also going to be celebrating our Father in Heaven. So please join us in worshiping Him this morning. All right, help me out, church. Remember those walls we called sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But He came and He died and He rose. Those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we called death and grave. They were like mountains that stood in our way. But He came and He died and He rose. Those giants are dead now. All right, help me out, church. This is our God. This is our God.
Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome to another dad battle. Now, is anybody, and I mean anybody at all, willing to face our champion? joined the golf team at school, so I bought him an extra pair of socks in case he gets a hole in one. Hole in one. His dad jokes are so effortless. See that? That's why he's the champ. That's nothing. The other day, my daughter said a good Christian dad would buy her a car. So I said, well, a good Christian kid would walk. Because that's what Jesus did. Fathers! Listen up, son. Just because God picked your nose doesn't mean you should. <laughs> when you start paying the bills, you can make some of the rules. Come on! Yeah. Yeah. Hold up! Who touched the thermostat? Yeah! That lawn isn't gonna mow itself. Let me stop what I'm doing and fix your boredom. Hi, Hungry. I'm Dad. I love the smell of Home Depot in the morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just wait till your mother gets home. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Pull my finger. Nah. Just rub some dirt on it. Proud of you. You can do hard things. I love you, no matter what. When God made you, He made something very special. Proudest day of my life is the day you made me a father. I thank God for you every time I get on my knees and pray. Who gives this woman? No. Don't you look at me. You look at me. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Mother and I. 
All right, KFCC, would you stand with us? We're so glad you're here. Happy Father's Day. We hope there's somebody very special that you can honor today. But church, you got to help me out as we thank God this morning. I'm wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul. But I tried with all my might Let me hear you And I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting Hey, I'm vagabond
take him this morning. See, on a hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side. No greater sacrifice in what he's done, in what he's done.
2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. All right, church, I know this is your jam. Let him turn it in your favor. Let him work it for your good. not done with what he started yes we believe he's not done until it's good let me hear you let him turn let him turn it in your faith watch him work it for your good and he's not done with what he no, he's not done until it's good. Shout it out and hello.
Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm sorry, just uh, want to clean things up around here. Um, make sure things are swept real well here on the stage. Yes, 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 yes. Got a couple boos over here, about 15 boos over here. There were zero boos over here. Did you see what I did there? Yeah, I know he's going to want to listen to the message if I keep on doing that. So, uh, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, if you don't understand, ask somebody, they'll tell you. Please ask a Dodger fan, that'd be awesome. Um, welcome, we're so glad you're with us today. Let me just take a couple seconds. If you're in the video venue right now, thank you, you're amazing. We have this task of trying to reach the next generation. Things get a little louder in this room. And the fact that you're willing to go to the video venue and participate in worship and then walk on over, or if you're staying there the whole time, I saw a good handful of you in there. I just love you. Thank you for the maturity that you are showing. Thank you. If you look to the left right now, these are the reasons we are making these decisions. And uh, we have a whole bunch of high school students who are going to Friathon. Uh, this weekend, and we're going to pray for you in a second. But first, I want to say Happy Father's Day. Uh, we've already had a good, good Father's Day morning. Yes, every uh, man, everybody who's been a father to someone else, whether literally or I had several fathers in my life who were uh, kind of role models because I didn't have a father growing up, and so a lot of people stepped up to be a father for me that I kind of celebrate on Father's Day. Hopefully you have some of those as well that you can honor today, but we're excited that you are here. We had a little video. It's kind of cool. Starts off funny, then gets all emotional, and uh, you get to my age, and you start wondering about like, you know, you know sending your daughter off into marriage and whatnot and gaining a then, you know, and um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, but uh, you know, it's really good. Afterwards today, I will be out on the patio. We're doing Father's Day nachos, and I will be serving myself. I'll be there serving you nachos. If you are of a fatherly nature, you get to come on over and make yourself some nachos, and I will be there. I'm going to try to jump, jam on over as soon as I'm done. I'll let you be a part of that. And so, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. And of course, we send off every year, we send off all of our students to Friathon on Father's Day. So, after church today, these guys will get up, go down to the lower parking lot. There'll be a bus there. They jump on the bus and they head to Modesto or the mountains of Modesto uh, this afternoon. Are you guys excited about going to Friathon? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I figured you would be. We would like you guys to stand up real quick. Maybe we can get so people online can see who you guys are. We'll try to get some a video of you guys. Stay right there. Stand up. And uh, we want to pray for you, not only for a safe journey, not only that you have a blast. Uh, this church has been doing Friathon for 30-something years. We want you to have a lot of fun, water skiing, battle tubing, all of it. At the same time, we have higher hopes as well, spiritually speaking, in the evenings. You'll have times where there'll be somebody bringing the word of God to you, and we're praying that God would saturate your souls with his word and with God himself in your life. And so if you would agree with me and you're willing and you're able, put a hand towards this way. If you're online, you can extend a hand as well. If you're in the video venue, we're just going to pray over these guys real quick. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ that you would allow our students to go, have a wonderful time, and be safe throughout the entire journey, the drive there and the drive home as they're 
on the water and doing all these, you know, could be dangerous activities, hopefully not too dangerous. And I ask you, Father, that you would meet them, meet every individual person in those meeting times, in those uh, tent times, in those uh, staff-led times, in those preaching times, in the worship time. Would you saturate these guys with a spiritual life that maybe they've never even encountered, maybe they've never even experienced? Would you do that and bring back our students in a way that would be so different that we'd go, wow, what happened to them at this camp? We ask you in the name of Jesus and all of our people said, amen. You guys have a seat. You guys got a half an hour of listening to me and then you can go have fun. Uh, Well, anyway, welcome and happy Father's Day. We're going to jump right in. Uh, Our story this morning takes us to the year 1987. I'm about nine years old. I have an older brother who's 12 years old. And many of you who have older brothers or sisters, you might be able to relate to this. My entire goal in life was to hurdle my brother. I wanted to be uh, bigger than him, stronger than him, smarter than him, faster than him, better than him at sports, at video games, anything. Uh, I wanted his clothes, his food, his friends. I, I wanted it all. I wanted to be where he was, and I was not content with where I was. When we were real small, we lived about two miles away from our school, and our choices were to walk or to bike. We chose the obvious choice of biking because it would get us there faster. And guess who wanted to be faster to school? Yours truly, right? And so we would race at times, and I can still remember like it was yesterday, uh, my brother, who was 12 years old and kind of growing into his man body, was certainly going to be fascinating, but in my nine-year-old little self, I was motivated to win the Tour de France (laughs) so I could beat my brother to school. Uh, And uh, that would never happen, but what would happen is a major bike car wreck. I can remember it uh, like it was yesterday. There's about a quarter mile stretch where there were cinder block on one side, sidewalk, and then the street where traffic was. Uh, The cinder block of a quarter mile was only broken up by a couple entrances and exits for this big apartment complex. And we would race past these little cinder block wall, even though we know there's a possibility that cars would come out, they never really come out. So we would just race as fast as possible. It's about this time that I can hear my mom saying, you know, you guys should be really careful when you're riding outside. You know, you may slow down so you have some adjustment time in case something were to happen out of the blue, out of the normal. So if there's a mistake that you can compensate for it. But at that time, I wasn't listening to that. I just wanted to win the Tour de France. And so I'm racing, and my brother's, of course, ahead of me. And as he's going ahead of me, a car comes out of that apartment complex where the cinder block wall doesn't allow you to see and almost hits him head on. And had he hit him head on, he would have been thrusted into traffic where he surely would have died. And we were poor, so we didn't have life insurance. I have no brother and no money. And I know that's weird and demented, but it's really funny in my brain. Anyway, and so he doesn't get hit, which thank God I still have a brother, but then the car is in front of me and I'm coming straight for it. And I hit the brakes as best as I can and no matter how hard I put on the brakes, I slam in the front of the car. Thankfully my, my momentum didn't throw me over it, so I was able to slow down enough, but my knee went straight into the fender and, and I was in pain. I remember having knee, my knee was swollen and my bike never worked the same again. It was like bent and I mean it would still work, but it wouldn't work the same. And, uh, and all that was going on, and I remember that little voice in my head. You know, you guys really should slow down a little bit when you're, when you're, you know, when you're riding your bikes. In case there's a situation that comes up, 
<laughs> you know? And guess what we never did again? Race past that cinder block wall where cars could come out without you ever seeing it. You know, you know what I learned that day? You, you really ought to listen to your parents. And I, I didn't have a father, so for me it's my mother. But for you, maybe it's fathers, and maybe it's your father. But, but you really ought to listen to what they say because sometimes there's some wise things in, that they're kind of trying to deliver to us that can protect us at times. And I share this because I bet a lot of people can relate to it, but not only that, I bet you also can relate to the analogy that it comes up with as well, that when we don't listen with, to God, sometimes something jolts us to remind us that, that he knows what he's talking about. Like in the same way that I, I didn't listen to my mom, and all of a sudden I get in this car wreck, and then it hit me, oh, I should listen to my mom. Sometimes in life, we don't listen to God, we ignore God, and something jolts us, and we go, oh, I should really listen to God. Like, like he might know what he's talking about. And if you've ever struggled with that, like ignoring God until there's like this jolting event, I want to let you know that you're not alone in that. I've dealt with that personally in my own spiritual journey, and the nation of Israel dealt with that as well. You're in a uh, commonness of struggling with many across the world who have ever lived. When we say, you know what, I'm ignoring you, but now there's this whole event that had this crisis event. Sometimes it's not even a crisis event. Sometimes it's a blessing event that makes you go, oh my gosh, I need to turn back my mind to God, and I need to start listening to his way of living rather than mine. Well, today we're going to focus on the idea that God can do whatever he needs to do to get you from point A to point B. And from point A to point B in God's mind is all about spiritual progress. Our minds, point A, is one thing, and point B is maybe making it further in your career, having your 403B or your 401K say this, having an extra property, all these things that we have listed of goals in our life. But God's mind... A to B is always spiritual in nature. It's always about spiritual progress. And so, how might God try to get our attention, and how does he shock us with his kindness when we don't deserve it? What events in our lives, even tragic ones, are allowed by God that we might remember him for the purpose that we might remember him? And how does he respond to us after we've forgotten him for so long? How might God use what some might depict as random occurrences to get us to focus on him? And why doesn't he rub it in our faces when we make mistakes? For that, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 12. I encourage you to open your Bible there right now. If you don't have a Bible and you're new to our church and you've never had a Bible, we want to give you your first one. Make sure before you leave today, go to the left-hand side in the lobby and say, Pastor Dave said I could have a Bible. And then we will do a lie detector test to make sure that you are not lying, that you've never had one. And then we'll give you a Bible. That's all we ask you to do. <laughs> just, just kidding. We won't do that. Um, but we would love to give you your Bible. and We even give you a coupon to put your name on it. And uh, we would love for you to, to open that up when you come um, to church. And if you have a phone right now, you can open it up to the Bible. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're looking at verses 16 through 25 together. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, verses 16 through 25 together. The overarching question today is how does God jolt us along towards spiritual progress? How does our God jolt us at times along to spiritual progress? Remember, his goal for us is spiritual in nature, not physical in nature, not material in nature. God's always worried about the bigger than that stuff the spiritual side of things. And so how does God jolt us along towards spiritual progress? And the first thing we're gonna see is that he can shake things up to get our attention. 
God can shake things up to get our attention. He shakes things up at times in your life, good and bad, that will get your attention back to him. Let's look at that in verses 16 through 19 together. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. It says this, follow along as I read. Now therefore stand still and see great things that the Lord will do before your eyes. This is Samuel talking to the people of Israel. And this is what he says. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. And so Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. Circle that, underline that, highlight that. When did he do it? That very day that he asked for it. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servant, uh, pray for your servants to the Lord, your God, that we might not, what? Die, for we have added to all of our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Let's stop there. Uh, How does God jolt us along towards spiritual progress? Well, he can shake things up to get our attention, and that's exactly what he does here. He shakes it up to get their attention. Now, if you remember in the last several chapters of 1 Samuel, the people of Israel have done something horrible. They don't even know it yet until now. And what they've done is they said, God, we, we want a king. We want a human king that we can celebrate, that we can parade around, that we can have pride in, that the one who goes and defends us in our battles and, and provides for us and, so that we can be a nation like the rest of the nations. What's the problem with that? They had a king, and to get their human king, they had to dethrone the true king, who was who? God. And so they set God aside. So we don't want you, God. We want a human king. Never mind that God is all-knowing, that he's everywhere, that he's all-powerful. All the omnis, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, all of them. We want to set that aside for somebody who's human. And of course... The last couple chapters, we've seen God obliges to this request, and then he warns them, you're not going to like this, and so we will see that in the next chapters of 1 Samuel and into 2 Samuel, how they won't take pleasure in the king that they have when they had God as their king. And so he shakes things up before them to get their attention. Up until now, they've just asked for God for a king, and they haven't gone, oh my gosh, we did something really wrong. But at this moment, when Samuel goes, fine. I'm going to prove to you that what you've asked for is so atrocious that fear will come over your soul. And what he does is he, he, he proposes a miracle thunderstorm that will prove God's displeasure for his kingly replacement. Now, at first glance, if you're like me, you think to yourself, this reaction of fear in the face of a thunderstorm seems a little overblown. Does anybody else kind of, that's when I first, I'm like, why are you getting all scared because of a thunderstorm? I don't like, I don't, I don't get it. There, there's some things that you should know that will kind of set this in place and help us understand what they're going through. Number one, at this time of year, uh, the summertime, it's extremely rare for this type of storm. It's early summer. It's wheat harvest. So rare that they would even classify it as unknown. Like, never has it happened. It'd be like a cosmic inversion, so to speak. It'd be akin to me saying that there's a hurricane off the coast of California. A hurricane off the coast of Florida, we get it. Hurricane off the coast of Texas or all the southern states, we get that. But a hurricane off the coast of California, never heard of it. I don't think it's ever happened. Could it happen? I'm su- I suppose it probably could. 
But it's never happened. That's what's going on here. This is a never happened event. Uh, Secondly, storms uh, during harvest season were considered to be a curse from the Lord. I'll give you some passages. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 19 and 20. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 22. When, uh, when, 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 When a storm would come, during the harvest season, that was to be considered to be a curse from the, from the deity. And specifically, God said he would curse them this way. In fact, the word for thunder literally translated is voices, and it represents the loud and powerful voice of God's displeasure. So when he says, I'm going I'm 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 to say that let's have a thunderstorm today, they would go, oh my gosh, that is in the vein of God, God uh, cursing us, and the thunder itself sounds like the voice of God that's in displeasure of us. And the idea is as the people of God moved out of relational orbit with God, so God would see to it that nature itself would move out of its proper orbit with his people. So first, it's extremely rare. Second, it's considered to be a curse from God, even biblically a curse from God. And third, storms would render the harvest season profitless. Your crops would be profitless. So what does that mean? Uh, destroying all the heads of grains before harvest would mean all the work that you did throughout the entire t- uh, the, the months of hard work are fruitless. Destroying the heads of grain, rendering your months of work fruitless, obliterating your ability to provide for yourself and your family. That's why they say that we might not die. Hey, would, would you go pray to your God, uh, 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 Samuel? Because we don't want to die. It makes sense of that statement literally There could be famine and starvation because of a storm like this. So out of nowhere, Samuel says, all right, I'm stepping aside and you're getting a king. But I'm still going to be here in the form of spiritual guidance. Uh, I'm not just going into retirement. Uh, I'm stepping aside from my judging activities. Your king will do that now. But as for spiritually speaking, I still carry a spiritual authority with me. A miraculous spiritual authority. In fact, the mode of the scriptures is whenever God's man makes a message for God, he comes with miracles to validate the message actually comes from a supernatural being. And so he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. And this thunderstorm that he propositions becomes actualized, and the people begin to fear greatly. I want to go back to verse 18. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain when? That day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Not only the Lord they feared, they feared Samuel too. It's one thing to talk about it, but for it to happen, and on the same day, when we didn't see any clouds, like there's something going on here. Now, I want to classify fear in two ways in the scriptures. Uh, There's two types of fear in the scriptures that we'll highlight today. And the first one is a fear uh, or an awe and reverence of God. He is higher, I am lower. Uh, He is bigger, I am smaller. That is classified in the scriptures as having a fear of God, having a, a right understanding of God. He is so holy, I am not worthy of him. I am fearful, I'm in awe of his great nature. That's a positive fear. There's another kind of fear in the scriptures, and that would be terror, like fear that he's going to obliterate me. And what they're dealing with right now isn't an awe and reverential fear. It is a terror so clearly. 
because of what they just saw. And they're not only fearing God, they're fearing God's messenger too in Samuel, who at this point looks a lot like Moses. If you cross-reference Moses and his miracles in Exodus chapter 9, verse 23, or the response to him in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, Samuel's starting to look like a guy that we know from a long time ago, a hero of the faith. And they're fearful of what this means. And so they go to him and go, would you please pray to your God? Which is really interesting. Uh, It's really all of their God, but at this point they're finally taking an understanding of what they've done. And this is kind of the first repentive notion we've seen. Where they go, it's your God, not our God. We've messed up big time. It shows their understanding of their mistake. Would you pray so that we wouldn't die so clearly they were terrified In their minds, they were thinking, what if this is a precursor to all the other covenantal curses? Leviticus chapter 26, verses 19 through 22. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 18, or 22 to 24. There was a covenant between God and Israel. Now, I'm going to spend some time here because this gets really confusing for us today if we don't interpret it properly. That is to say that God said, I will come into an agreement with you, Israel. I will do my side of the agreement if you do your side of the agreement. And when we do that, our Mosaic covenant will be whole. And here's what the covenant was. I will protect and provide for you, Israel, God speaking. You will follow me and obey me. When you follow and obey, I protect and provide. In fact, this idea of wanting a king was their way of getting out of the covenant. Well, we don't want to have to obey him. So let's give us a king who will protect and provide for us apart from the Mosaic Covenant. So here is the idea, Mosaic Covenant, I protect and provide, you follow me. If, on the other side of that agreement, if you do not follow your end of the bargain, I will curse you. That is written in Deuteronomy. That famines will come, that I'll destroy your crops. That was the agreement between Israel and God. Why is that so important? Because we don't come to God with the same agreement. We're not going to God in this relationship, if I do good, then you bless me, kind of relationship. We come by way of a different covenant, the New Testament covenant, the covenant through his son, the blood of Jesus Christ, which is full of grace and mercy. God does not function to us today the same way he functioned with Israel. Why? Because we're not in that same agreement. That is so important because people will leave going, oh, if I don't do good, then God will curse me. No, no, no. No, God's not gonna curse you. You're not under the Mosaic covenant. Now, God might discipline you like a father would to a son, but that's always done in love to see them grow and flourish. But he won't curse you in the same way that he was willing to the Old Testament Israel because they made an agreement. And so we see that there's this Mosaic covenant that they were thinking, oh my gosh, thunderstorms is in that agreement. What about all the other things? I hope that's not coming next. And they're terrified of that because they understand those agreements so well. They finally understood the gravity of their insistence of wanting a human king. Now, they go to, they go to Samuel and say, Samuel, will you please pray for us? Please pray for us. Pray to your God doesn't obliterate us. Please, your God, not even our God. We're not even, we don't even call him our God anymore. We're so, we've messed up so badly. They finally take stock of where their life has taken them. Now, on a side note, A complete side note, Uh, if any of you ever want to do something in service for the kingdom of God, you better be sure that you have no problem praying for people 
that may oppose you, that may oppose God, that may oppose God's standards, that may blame you for their dysfunction, that will take the low road and expect you to take the high road. It's part and parcel. If you want to do something for the Lord, you better be ready to do that, because that's Samuel's calling here. Uh, You've just set me aside, you didn't want me, and now you want me to pray for you. Be very easy for him to be vindictive and bitter and sent out, pray for yourself. But he won't do that. Why? Because it's his job to love and pray for them anyways with no bitterness along the way. He's the type of mediator that Christ was as he sits at the right hand of the Father and mediates for us even when we slap him in the face. Even when we don't in our lives live for Jesus. According to scriptures, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Christ is mediating for us to the Father. Don't look on that sin. Remember my cross work for him. Don't look on what she's doing right now. Remember her in the realm of, through the, the lens of the blood of Christ, please. And he advocates for us constantly, even though we take his sacrifice and slap him in the face sometimes. That's the mediation that God is calling Samuel to, that God has called Christ to. And if you want to do something for the Lord, you better be ready for that as well. Because I can tell you, there's a lot of people that I've prayed for that have given me a hard time. And, uh, and yet that's the calling. That's exactly right. That is appropriate. We are to be a picture of the mediation of God. Well, even when we're blind to our actions and how they affect our relationship with God, God can shake things up and get our attention. And when he has our attention, how does he respond to us? What does he do once he has our attention? That's where we're going next. How does God jolt us along towards spiritual progress? First we saw that he can shake things up. Don't just think it's gonna go easy. He might even be patient with you, but he can shake it up to get your attention. And once he gets your attention, we will see that he surprises us with his love and mercy. He surprises us with his compassion. He surprises us with his kindness. He surprises us with his love and mercy. Let's see that next Starting in verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. Uh, uh, You have done all this evil. I'm not pretending it's not there. I see it. God sees it. But don't be afraid. Yet don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn uh, uh, aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it, is, it, it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me, that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I'll continue to pray for you as well. And will instruct you in, good, in the good and right way. I'm not leaving as a spiritual leader. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you, back to the Mosaic Covenant, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. I would say that last verse is Mosaic Covenant, and that doesn't necessarily apply to us today in the sense that he's not going to sweep us away because we have the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. How does God jolt us along towards spiritual progress? He surprises us with his love and his mercy. I don't want you to fear God in a sense of terror. I don't mind if you have an awe of God, but I don't want you to fear him as if he's going to terrorize you. Just serve him. For the Lord will not forsake you. 
is the idea. I don't want you to do this one, I do want you to do this one. It's a negative positive. I don't fear in the realm of terror, but just serve him. That's your action, that's your action point going forward. I don't want you to have an improper fear, terror of God, I want you to have a proper fear of God. But if you end up in that improper fear, terrorized by what God's gonna do to you, you may run to uh, different negative activities to cope with that fear. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to serve him. Do the opposite. Don't run to the vain and empty things. Literally in the text, things that bring emptiness, things that bring nothingness, stop running towards that. You're thinking about all the things in the past and what I've done and what I'm ashamed about and what I'm disappointed in. I should have done that. I can't believe myself. And God's like, forget all that. Just serve him. Don't go back. Oh, you, you're getting that thought process. All you do is stay there and, you're, and you spiral down and then you end up running to things to help you cope. I've taken care of that. Now come over here and just serve him is the idea. We see people at times get stuck in a rut. I can't forgive myself. I, I, I'm living in the past. I've stifled by my shame. I'm spiraling back into bad habits because of these, uh, these, these, these depressive thought processes. He says, don't do that. In fact, put it back on the screen. Verse, I want to read it again. Verse 20. Verse 20. I want to make sure this is clear. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Why? For his name's sake. Why should you turn and be faithful to the Lord even though you have all this over here that he has to forgive you for? Because he will not forsake you. That's why. He knows all that. Shocker. God knows everything. He knows every detail that you've never shared to anybody else that you're humiliated about. He knows it. He's taking care of it. Don't wallow in it. Move forward and serve him with the rest of your life. Now, there are some things about his elective purposes that we learned here that I wanna highlight. If you're taking notes, a good place to take notes. Number one, God's elective purposes are not based on any merit on Israel's part. If he was basing his elective love for Israel on whether or not they deserved it, do they deserve it? No. So clearly they don't deserve it. So God's elective purposes are not based on any merit on Israel's part. It's based on an oath that God made to Israel's forefathers because of his good pleasure and love for them. I made a promise to your forefathers and therefore I have to be true to that promise or then my name gets you know, marred in that process and so I'll be faithful for my namesake. That's the idea. It's based on an oath to the forefathers that he didn't have to, by the way, he selected Israel out of all the world, why? Just because he loved them, because of his good pleasure, because of his own elective purposes. It wasn't that they were better than everybody else, they were better looking, they're more equipped, they'll listen better, obviously not. He just chose them, you're mine, based on nothing of your own. And I will keep my word because I said I keep my word. And then lastly, it's based on his, the sake of his great reputation, Psalm 25 and 11. This is great because this actually does cross over to us today. God, in his elective purposes, chose you, not based on any merit of your own. 
based on his own good pleasure and his desire and love for you, and he will not forsake you for his own namesake. Those three things do apply to us today. If you are here, you're a believer in Christ, you are chosen by God, not by any merit that you could ever bring in, but based on his own will and good pleasure, and he will not forsake you for the sake of his name. I think of it, it's Father's Day, so I'll use a Father's Day illustration. I think of like a father-son relationship. Um, my son could do a lot of things that could hurt our relationship, that could disappoint me, that could make um, chemistry in the home lacking, that could make a lot of friction, a lot of lack of harmony in our home, but he will never, ever, ever cease to be my son. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. you believe that as a father? Now think of our heavenly father in the same way. He will never, never allow you to think that you are not a child anymore. You may be going through it, you may be getting disciplined out of love, but you're always a child of God if you're a believer in Christ. Why? Because he chose you, not based on any merit of your own, but for his own namesake, he'll be faithful to you. Well, so what's the way forward? In verse 24, we see it. The way forward is to honor God with our life. I'll go back to it real quick. Only fear the Lord, that's an all reverential fear, and serve him faithfully with all your heart. That is the way forward. Fear him and serve him. Awe and reverence of God, and then give your life to him because of what he's done for you. Don't stay hanging out over here wondering about all the things that you did. That you, oh my gosh, if God, if he looks on that activity, he's going to hate me. And oh my, no, nope. That's done. Cross took care of it in Christ. I'm moving forward and I'm serving him out of love and devotion for him. Not because I'm trying to earn anything. I couldn't earn it. I'm doing it because I love him and appreciate what he's done for me. It's very interesting this depiction of Israel in this passage. One, uh, um, uh, I'm sure we can all relate to, and namely that we mess up and yet God still forgives and restores them. And it kind of leads me to the big idea, which says this, if acceptance before God was dependent on us, then we'd all be in a world of hurt. Amen. If the acceptance before God was dependent upon us, then we'd all be in a world of hurt. Acceptance before God has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Christ on the cross. But if it was dependent on us, then we would all be in a world of hurt. Israel fails miserably in the last couple chapters of 1 Samuel. He even takes them getting hit across the head for them to realize the gravity of their actions. Anybody can relate to that? God's got to whack me upside the head to get my attention. He does. But God doesn't rub their faces in it. That's the amazing thing. He's not like our earthly fathers who make mistakes in that realm. No, he encourages them by telling them, no, don't be afraid. Just serve me. Serve me. It actually says he'll be faithful to them, not because they deserve it, so clearly they didn't, because he has to be faithful to his name. I'll be faithful to you because I have to be faithful to my name, or I'm not God. If acceptance before God was dependent upon us, then we'd all be in a world of hurt. You sometimes in our lives we think, um, you know, if I have enough good days that outweigh my bad days, then, then I'm acceptable before God. If my goods outweigh my bads, and let's just say that's even possible. Let's say you were able to accomplish that in your life. My goods are heavier in activity than my bads, and then I'm acceptable before God. I want to tell you something. The Christian worldview says, no, you'll never be acceptable before God. I don't care if you could be three times better than your evil deeds. 
You're still not acceptable before God. You know why? Because he's holy. He's never done one thing wrong, which makes a big chasm between us. The Christian worldview is the one that one distinguish, distinguish fire, the thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the religions around the world is we're not trying to tell you to be better than you are bad so that God will somehow accept you. No, no, so clear, you'll never be good enough for God. If you only did one thing wrong, you would never be good enough for God. Getting right before God has everything to do with Jesus Christ and his cross work. So that God looks at me, sees my past, my present, my future, sees all the negative activity and said it's paid for by Christ on the cross. I see the blood of Jesus as a, as a shield over you. And all I see is the perfection of the righteousness of Christ in you. I'm not looking at you on your bad days and comparing them to your good days. So your bad days don't disqualify you from God, and I'm gonna really, 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 really mess with you. And your good days don't make you that much more lovable to God. Does that make sense? Like I'm not all of a sudden more approachable to God this week because I did good this week. You can't be any more approachable than the righteousness of Christ. All of our worth comes from believing in Christ. So then why do we do good things? Not because I'm trying to earn anything, just because I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. That's why I'm living. And by the way, when I mess up and I trip up and I fall down, I come back and I pray and he forgives me again. And when I mess up and I trip up and I fall down, I come back and ask for forgiveness and he forgives me again. And then I thankfully say thank you for the forgiveness and move forward again towards Christ. Well, let me see if I can wrap this whole thing up with, uh, with an illustration. Um, I saw a movie recently, uh, George Foreman, The Boxer. Did you see that movie? It's a pretty good movie, I, I thought. Uh, I go to see movies a lot. Uh, I feel like I'm still making up for all the years in graduate school where movies were impossible because uh, of all the workload. And so I feel like um, society owes me. And so I go, and I go see a lot of movies. And this one's really interesting to me because George Foreman was a pastor. I didn't even know that until the movie, that apparently he was a pastor somewhere in there too. So I got to see this movie about George Foreman, the boxer, and how he turns into a pastor. And I really thought it was interesting because here's a pastor who actually gets to hit people, and it's okay. And... <laughs> And so that's, you know, that was worth the 10 bucks in itself. And so, extraordinary life. Uh, as George Foreman is a young man, real bad man, bad, bad man. I mean, literally the strongest heavyweight, uh, heaviest hitting heavyweight in all of the world. Uh, knocked out Joe Fraser in a stunning second round knockout in his younger years. He, of course, goes on to lose to a, uh, an older Ali, but it wasn't because Ali was hitting him harder. It was because Ali was smarter than him and used the wisdom of years to get him to gas out, and he was able to knock him out, but not because Ali was bigger and badder. He was just smarter. He had all the money in the world, had everything money could buy. He was a man uh, who was doing his own thing in his younger years, lost his first wife in favor of his indulgences, and then the jolt came from God. Then the moment came that would shake him out of it. Believe it, it was his sister who found herself in danger while pregnant, and George finally realized there was something in the world that he couldn't buy. Health. Can't buy it. That's in the realm of God. You can get her to the best hospital in the world, but you can't give her help. And so he finds himself in the chapel, that hospital, begging God to rescue his sister and his nephew. Promises to God. If you'll rescue them and make sure that my sister doesn't die and that baby doesn't die, I will give you my life. I will give you my career. I will go into ministry. 
He would end up becoming a pastor in Houston, Texas, also volunteering his time at a local boxing gym that he bought himself, training kids. Finally, he would find out that his financial assistant had been embezzling from him for years, and he needed to resurrect his career in boxing again because he had to make a living. Comes back and becomes the oldest heavyweight champion of the world ever at 46 years old. Goes into selling little grills, and the story goes on from there. You see, even when you are blessed with a ton of resources, God still has ways to get your attention. In fact, oftentimes, more resources simply is a license for licentious living. Thank God that he looks past our past and has better ideas for our future here on earth. If acceptance before God was dependent upon us, we'd all be in a world of hurt. We'd all be in a world of hurt. I wonder if you're here and you're just new to this thing and you're like, are you telling me, Pastor, that I could be accepted before God knowing everything over here that nobody else knows? And the answer to that question is yes. And it's yes before I even hear the activities. Because I could take this very message and go to death row and preach it. And it doesn't matter what they had done. God says, if you'll look at my son, place your faith in a life that you could never live, in a death that you deserved, and in a resurrected life that is to come, then I'll save you and I'll give you his righteousness while I, play, while I pay the penalty for the sin of the world on Christ. That's what's happening at the cross. God is satisfying his wrath on every evil activity that's ever been in the world. And Christ, the sacrifice, has the ability to take on the sin of the world on that cross. But he says one little caveat. I won't make you. You gotta place faith in that work. And although Christ has the power and the ability in that sacrifice to forgive the sin of the world, it'll only be applied on the accounts of those who believe on my son. Are you here today and you want to believe on Christ for the first time? Place your faith in him, understanding that perfection was never something that you were going to be able to accomplish on this earth. Perfection has to be given to you spiritually, and that's what happens when you believe in Christ. So it's not less about like, I'm going to get this right and this right, and I'm going to get all my ducks in a row, and then I'm going to get God right. It doesn't work that way. It works the opposite. You get God right, and he gets your ducks in a row. That's how it works. And if you're here, and you're a believer, and maybe you feel like a nominal believer, I don't know if I am a believer, I don't know if I was a believer, I know I used to do church thing, I know it used to mean more to me, and right now it doesn't mean that much, and, and you're, well, what's my, what's my way back? Well, first of all, being in this room, it's a wonderful place to start. And did you know that the very grace and mercy and love of God is available to you right now, just as it's always been? And he won't rub your face in it. That's our God. It's called the good news of the gospel. No, he finds the greatest fattened calf and he puts the best ring on your fingers. Just welcome home. That's our God. You could start today. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, I'm so thankful that acceptance before you isn't dependent upon us. 
for we all know that we'd be in a world of hurt if it, if it did. Thankful that you look past our past, that you, in your grace and mercy and love, say, I've taken care of that. That when we humble ourselves and come before you and say, I place my faith in you and you alone, the cross work of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that you say you'll save somebody when they believe that. When they believe in their heart, they confess it with their mouth, Romans 10, 9, they will be saved. And I'm thankful that no matter how many times we mess up, should we turn around and come back to you, you're there to embrace us. Father, would you meet that person right now in this room? Would you meet that person online right now? Let them know that you see them, that you love them, and you're here to meet them spiritually right where they're at. We ask it in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. What a great way to explain the gospel. I'm uh, just still perplexed that George Foreman actually was a boxer and not just a grill maker. But speaking of food, um, because I'm in a giving mood and we're at our time of giving, today, root beer floats for everyone for free at Wiener Schnitzel. This is not endorsed by Camarillo Community Church, just by me, myself. We are so glad that you're here. And um, on top of speaking of food, you know, last week they had 175 people at the food pantry. Isn't that awesome? Praise God for that. God is moving in this church. Yeah. That is double the numbers that they had pre-pandemic and the biggest that they've had on a non-holiday ever. So that's huge that God is moving and he uses you when you give to this church to be able to help our community. So thank you for that. So there are three ways to give. We'll put those on the screen because you enable us to be able to help in our community. So stick around and see what's coming up at CAMCC. Hey, good morning, CAMCC. I'm Ed Lane, and I serve in the worship ministry here at church. I am so glad you are here with us today. If today is your first time with us, welcome. We have a gift just for you, a $5 Starbucks gift card for that black tea lemonade you love so much. All you do is grab a connection card, fill it out, and take it to the welcome counter out there in the lobby. Or you can scan this with your phone and let the welcome counter know that you filled it out digitally and they will still hook you up. If it happens to be your second time visiting us here at church, welcome back. Check this out. You get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you for an all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. Easy peasy. Just let us know it's your second time out there at the welcome counter and it's yours. Or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. Saturday, July 15th, ladies summer evening hike from 6 to 8 p.m. Close out a summer evening as you listen to the birds and enjoy a warm evening walk in nature. Hike around three to four miles, moderately difficult, shouldn't be too bad. Contact Allie Smith to sign up at allison at camcc.net. August 11th to 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. Enjoy kayaking, snorkeling, hiking, games, prizes, and more on the beautiful island of Catalina. This will be a week you do not want to miss, so be sure to register right now. That includes you incoming sixth graders as well. At camcc.net slash Catalina 
or more info, contact Jacob at camcc.net. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Please stand for the send-off. Um, I think what I got from the message was the line that stood out that said, um, sometimes we don't listen until there's a jolting experience. And so I wonder why, why is that? Um, but the great thing is, is that we don't have to wait for that jolting experience in order to feel close to God. Um, he is there to provide us with love and mercy when we serve Him and we steward that relationship with Him. So that's really awesome. Um, if you are a guest here today, please stop by our welcome counter. We have some gifts for you, and we would love for you to meet our wonderful greeters there. Happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. Please stop by our nacho bar and create some wonderful nachos. And don't forget to be praying for our wonderful youth here that are heading to Friathon and for the staff and the um, volunteers that are going up there to serve them. So um, please go out on the patio, enjoy some nachos, and we'll see you next Sunday.